In this episode, we interview Robert Danielson, the uh, CMO of Rep Sports, a parent company that owns a bunch of uh, health brands, one of them being the eight-figure brand Raise Energy. It's an energy drink brand across the United States. Now, um, Robert and I discuss how to scale a brand to eight figures in sales when you're working with both retail and online channels and how they work together in perfect harmony to, to build these massive companies. Finally, Robin talks about the brand awareness and how he does crazy things with influencer marketing. Um, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I just saw on my Instagram story, um, Summer Rae, a massive influencer, was having a birthday party and they opened the garage door and there's a massive crate of energy drinks that is Robin's product sitting right there that ends up getting distributed across all of these different influencers' um, Instagrams just because it was such a wacky thing to happen at this party. So enjoy the episode, guys. Hope you learn a lot and we'll talk soon. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Robin. How's it going? It's going great. Glad to be here. Excited. Awesome, man. Awesome, man. So tell everyone what you do, um, what you're currently working on and how it all started. Yeah, for sure. So uh, right now I'm the, the CMO of Rep Sports. Uh, we have an energy drink, Raise Energy as well. Uh, just launched a protein popcorn, a protein like food snack brand, uh, G-Pop Foods. Uh, have a few other things on the side, but those are the, the main things for, for right now. <laughs> awesome, dude. It sounds like sounds like you're super busy. So is it one kind of like one parent company running all these subsidiary brands or how is that structured? Yeah, so we have one parent company that's actually the, the manufacturing plant that we have is the parent company. So we do some contract manufacturing as well, but the, the brands are each their own uh, brand underneath that parent company. Excellent. So let's kind of dive deep into the details um, because you're mentioning, you're mentioning manufacturing, which is something completely different to what most people talk about on you know marketing or, or e-commerce podcasts. So kind of give us a rundown on what happens on the operational side because you guys are front facing in terms of retail and online, but you're also doing operational stuff like manufacturing, which not many people do. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a lot that goes into it. Um, from the procurement of actually the, the raw ingredients and everything all the way through the GMP certification and all the federal stuff all the way through to, to making the actual drinks or products and, and then getting them out. So there's a good amount there, but really at the end of the day for manufacturers that we had out there, and then we also just really wanted the, the extra profit margin that came from actually being able to make it all in house. So from doing all the flavors and all that kind of stuff, we really wanted a product that was better than what I, whatever else was out there and needed the margins to, to be healthier as well. So we ended up, uh, yeah, building it internal. Awesome. And, and how did that happen? Or even before we get into that, how did all of this start? What, where are your roots? What's your background? Uh, so, I mean, I started online when I was in uh, middle school, a friend of mine at the time showed me like this site where you could fill out some surveys to, you know, make a buck here. It was called a uh, cash crate. I think I'm um, right. sure it's, it might still be around even, but you would take these little surveys or, do a, a free trial to something and make some money. Um, quick, very early on, I realized that I was like, why are they paying me a dollar fifty to fill out this email submit to win a free, you know, iPad or whatever the CPA offer was? And so, kind of went down the, the rabbit hole of the whole online marketing and really the CPA world at that time. Um, ended up starting to go to my friends and got them involved. So we'd go to McDonald's or go to Panera, and they'd fill out my offers on Wi-Fi and make me a few bucks, and then we'd go to the next one. Um, so. From, from that went into the whole make money online kind of world, a lot of email marketing. Uh, and then in college is really when I kind of picked up steam uh, in terms of really getting more into the supplement side of things and more of the real e-com um, and started a, a supplement brand in college. I saw a, uh, a free trial offer, you know, the affiliate marketing CPA muscle offer 
on Facebook. And I was like, hey, I've seen that on a network before. So I ended up becoming an affiliate for it, uh, made you know a good amount of money in a few weeks and was like, all right, forget about this. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing and start it myself. Um, a lot of failures along the way at, in that process, a lot of stuff I didn't know. But uh, from then on, I've just been really starting brands and uh, trying to build them all and use them all through. Really through paid media has been the, the main thing, but that's kind of the, the catalyst there. Awesome. So what was the first brand that you guys kicked off then in that case that, that was your own? And, and how did that look starting up? Yeah, yeah my first one was called uh, Ripped Fuel X. Uh, that lasted about two months until the owner of the trademark of Ripped Fuel uh, ended up sending me a cease and desist. I was I got a letter in the mail at a freshman year of college, got a letter that said, you know, hey, we own it was a very legal letter and I was, you know, scared shitless and it said something to the tune of, you know, for violating this trademark where you owe us a million bucks, basically. Um, and I was like, Jeez. oh, I don't have a million. I've barely done anything yet. This is two months in. Um, so I ended up not doing anything, didn't respond to them and just changed the name to Alpha Fuel X. Um, got the trademark for that, actually. So learned my lesson there um, and then kind of went on, went on from there. But yeah, so the very first one was just a, a testosterone booster. Uh, Alpha Fuel X ended up being the main name. Um, and after about eight months or so, I uh, ended up selling that actually, and then moving on and, and making another and did that a few times in terms of building up these uh, smaller supplement sites, flipping them on Flippa and then uh, making another and kind of doing the same thing for a few time to stack my chips as it were. Awesome. Awesome. So, so diving into the details so that like the listeners can understand what the full process is. How do you start when you, when you want to create one of these brands, do you start with sourcing a manufacturer and designing a website and stuff like that? And then how does that translate over time into sales, of course? And then finally, if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing, um, those, those sales, how does that equate to an acquisition or actually selling a company, which is something that not too many people talk about, which would be awesome. Yeah. So, um, it was in, in the early days before, obviously now having the manufacturing very different, but when I, when I first started out, really it was, I found private label, uh, supplement manufacturers. So these are manufacturers that already have, uh, formulas that they just white label. So the, you give them a design and they'll slap their label on or your label on it. Um, and then it goes out the door. A lot of them have fulfillment houses internally as well. So you can actually pay for them to, to make the product as well as, uh, you know, actually deliver it to the customers. So early on it was, yeah, contract manufacturing is where I found the products for, for me, what I had decided early on was I wanted something that one, I knew was working. So I basically just ripped the same kind of product that I was an affiliate for, um, modified it slightly or found a formula that I liked a little bit better than what they were selling. Um, mainly I wanted something that actually the customer could feel. So it had a little nice and a little caffeine in it. Um, so the, the, yeah. police, the placebo effect is uh, one of the best effects in, in science. Um, but that's, uh, yeah. So ended up finding the product, getting a name, and then it was building a site. So ended up going on uh, 99 designs gigs and found new offers that other people were already uh, running and that were proven gave them those three designs that I found and then he kind of made an amalgamation of uh, of all three and we're off to the races started some ads and it kind of worked pretty pretty early on but uh yeah really the the site and the product was the first two main things there and then obviously it's uh kind of getting traffic there and being able to have the the back end in place to to fulfill orders to send emails and and do all of that 
Awesome. Awesome. And then you sold these sites, right? So how, how roughly kind of what multiple can you get on the revenue that you're doing? Because I'd imagine this was extremely direct response and not so much branded or returning customers, right? Because of your background in CPA. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So there, the nice part was that they were recurring customers in the sense of it was a trial into a monthly subscription product. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to have a few people early on when I got into this space who kind of coached me in the right direction. There's multiple sides of uh, the CPA and free trial industry. Um, so from very black hat and very dirty for all the way to more branded and actually run the right way. Um, I was kind of gray. I wasn't <laughs> really on either side, but I was able to at least build a few backend offers and a few um, real subscriptions that was able to extend the lifetime value of the customer. So the recurring revenue on it was was pretty good. Um, I ended up getting a, I believe it was 13 uh, EBITDA. So basically 13 times wow. my net monthly um, on that. And yeah, sold it on, on Flippa. So it was, a, it was my first, well, second site, but first kind of bigger sale um, through Flippa at it worked out fine it had a, a lot of people uh there's a lot of time wasters on there so i'm not sure i'll do it again but um it ended up finding someone who you know had enough money and understood the model enough to to make it work so and that that is a pretty massive multiple for for e-commerce in particular so i'd imagine it's uh it's mostly dependent on the ongoing recurring subscription and the lifetime value right yeah, so since the subscription was actually working well, so we had a good stick rate and the churn wasn't too bad. Um, the other thing that the people who bought it wanted was the fact that they were an Amazon brand and they actually already had some separate e-com stuff. We were only doing Facebook into our straight sale or into our trial and into the recurring um, and had really nothing outside of that ecosystem. So they kind of saw it as a potential to to take it over and push it on Amazon and add some of these pieces of or pieces to the pie that really uh, allowed them to pay a higher multiple. But the fact that our CPAs were so much lower than a lot of the other people in the space. So a typical network um, would pay an affiliate about $45 for a, a trial uh, sale. On the other side, we were our own affiliate as opposed to these other advertisers who were paying affiliates. We were getting about $10 CPA uh, in the early days mm -hmm. of, of Facebook. And that was amazing. So the, the ROI obviously was was really good on the you know on the ad spend so it it worked out well yeah awesome man awesome and then that brings you to where you are now with uh, with rep sports and stuff so how did that get started was it just the one product and then what did that branch into and then how did that arrive at raise energy yeah so um, I had a few different products you know in between there we had a few other sites that we kind of combined and sold and so I was kind of out of mini retired, so to speak, doing a few just side projects um, and actually went to a, a mastermind out in California and found a friend who are now partner, Chris, uh, who is the CEO right now. And he had his own brand, uh, NutriKey, that was already he had set up for, for more retail side of things for the wholesale and retailers. Um, and I was fully online. So we ended up talking a lot more and, you know, ended up I came on board and partnered with him. Um, on that side and then the extension into uh, rep sports that was just getting started and raise energy that was just getting started um, all in the all in the retail side of things and I kind of came on board to take it to the you know online space and direct to consumer um, and really the the need there was or the transition to, to raise was that really dietary supplements is not um, 
not as sexy of a, an industry or it's kind of dying in the retail space. A lot of the supplement stores are, are hurting in general. So it's all going online, a lot going to either direct response or, um, or places like Amazon and stuff. So Chris at the time had the idea to, to go into raise as a growing um, segment of the market going into energy drinks and really being able to uh, differentiate outside of just the, the dietary supplements. So um, yeah, ended up going going with that and it's been really good. Awesome. And uh, so, so being involved in, you know, kind of an omni-channel or a multi-channel um, approach, how does the retail stuff, I'd imagine there's like a symbiotic relationship between the retail and the online and, and they would both feed off each other and, and um, impact each other. What kind of impact are you seeing and how do they work together? For sure. There's definitely uh, parts of it that, that it's helpful, parts of it that they kind of fight against each other. So there's uh, a little bit of a, a learning curve there in terms of how they kind of play together. But certainly the overflow effect from anything online is is massive. It's a lot higher than I ever thought it would be, you know, coming into this a few years ago. It's, you know, incredible to see how much um, online actually infects the, the retail sales. So you have one side of it where obviously we're mostly focused on the direct response and ROI focused ads because that's just kind of where I came from. And it, to me, it never really makes sense to to go the uh, traditional just um, awareness approach and never, I never understood it and I can't get behind it to my core. So staying with the direct response, but being able to still get the awareness through something that actually gets an is ROI positive day one um, really was the focus and being able to, to do this. Um, and the, the branding and awareness that you get through these ads is, is huge. So one of the things that, that with the original alpha fuel sale, um, when they tried to go to Amazon, and realizing how much revenue that started generating for them as I, you know, had sold it, but was still kind of mentoring them or mentoring them, showing them um, some of the back end of the business. I saw like, oh, wow, there's they had an immediate spike of sales on Amazon, their ads every time they scaled ads, the Amazon sales increase. And so that was kind of my first taste into how much overflow there is outside of just going to your site and either clicking, you know, buy or not. Um, so and the same is true for retail and it it's really the case we can see when we we've targeted specific states where we have, you know, a good chunk of retailers. So we did this for Texas uh, and California as two examples and really scaled our ad spend in just those two states. And we could see the direct correlation to our GNC or specialty shop sales uh, was increasing as we increased the ad spend. Um, so it's really a very direct correlation for online kind of advertising to the, the retail overflow. On, on the flip side, the hard part is you don't want to uh, steal customers from, from these retailers who, you know, are, are supporting you and buying your stuff. And they also want to, to pull new customers into their store. So not having to or not doing too many sales or not, uh, you know, pushing or pulling too many people from those, you know, local markets online is a, a challenge that they, you know, are very wary of and something that we have to play the relationship game on making sure we're, you know, obviously still trying to be direct response and make money, but not, you know, piss, piss off all these retailers who are, are supporting you at the same time. I see. I see. It's super interesting. And, and balancing that fine line, I guess, um, starts becoming really important. Cool. So, uh, let's, let's take a quick pause and just move into out of the spotlight segment. So what are your favorite podcasts, YouTube channels, or people whose content you consume or masterminds? Because you mentioned, uh, you went to a mastermind earlier. Yeah. For sure. So, um, I mean, I, I like uh, a lot of outside of the traditional, I guess, marketing podcasts a lot. So I'm very into uh, like the Tim Ferriss podcast or uh, 
Peter Atia's drive, um, really stuff that they get into the details and into the weeds of stuff and where they're interviewing other people. Um, so those are, are two big ones for me. Um, I like Ryan Moran's uh, like 1% podcast is, is good. Um, and there are a few others just around, but those would probably be my top three at the moment. Awesome, man. Awesome. All right, back to uh, back to the conversation with the retail and the uh, the online and what you're doing at the moment. Um, so, how are you guys approaching the the online side of things now in terms of customer acquisition? How does everything look there? Yeah, so we're we're very focused. Uh, I mean, social is probably eighty percent right now of our traffic. Uh, we're continuing to try and diversify outside of that, getting a lot you know more into into native platforms and some push and stuff like that. Um, but really our bread and butter is kind of from the last 10 years has been, has been social. Um, we, we focus a lot on customer acquisition. So for us, a lot of our products and the products that we're moving towards are very much low, uh, dollar. So supplements have high dollar and high margin, uh, things like energy drinks and snack foods and stuff have a lot lower ticket price. The margin's still good, but it takes a lot more people and a lot more sales to, um, one influence the, entire market as a whole in, in retail, but also to, to get the returns online. Um, so we focus a lot on any kind of customer acquisition. So we do a, a lot of giveaway ads, a lot of leads, and we can get an email set on, um, and then a lot of sample boxes. So we'll send you know sample boxes of our energy drink or sample boxes of our um, protein popcorn or whatever else it is, and really use email, follow-up ads, SMS, all that kind of stuff to, to nurture after the fact. Um, but for us, it's a, we need someone to have that product and try it. And then we have a much more higher likelihood of them going into a store and seeing it and then, Hey, I, well, I might as well pick this up or, um, just being able to influence them much more. Cool. Cool. So, so by the sounds of it, it's, it's not necessarily profitable on the first touch point, right? So, so are you guys, how, how long does it take typically to monetize and make your money back and then start making a profit? For sure. Yeah. So it's, we've, uh, with the energy drinks, it's been hard. The, the price or the, the dollar ticket is so low and then the price to ship it is so high that it has been hard to get that day one uh, you know, profit where it needs to be. Uh, right now, we're actually about break even with our CPA. So um, on, on our sample funnel for the energy drink. So we're about day one break even, which is actually great. We're starting to really ratchet up that ad spend because of that. Um, it's been the case that we're losing around. We started out losing around 10 bucks um, per, you know, per customer that we got in there and it took about uh, two months or so for that to, to turn back around uh, and get ROI positive or break even. Um, now we've shortened that to about you know day one. Uh, it really varies depending on the funnel. We're okay as long as we know where we're coming in at. So around three months right now is where we're comfortable going in the red for as long as, again, we, we know our numbers there. Um, but overall, the, the goal is always to get to, to the day zero. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so I'm sure people that are listening to this are probably thinking, right? If you're in the red, then why are you even running the business, and how does it work? Because you mentioned ramping up the ad spend when you're at break even, right? Can you just explain to the people at home how does all of that work, and why are you willing to lose money or even break even at scale um, with your advertising? Yeah, so there's there's multiple reasons, and one is kind of what we already talked about is the overflow. So one thing that we've not taken into account on that is anything that's organically, quote unquote, organically coming in through Amazon, organically coming in through retail partners and stores, um, and then even outside of that, stores that see our ads and then realize, hey, I want to carry this product and bring it into their 
um, you know, into their location. So that's one side of it that we, it's hard for us to measure without doing those tests where we isolate a state, but we don't really want to isolate a state right now. We're trying to go as big as possible. Um, so it's hard for us to really quantify that number. Um, so as long as break even, we know that's something, whether it's 1% overflow, whether it's 20% overflow, there's something that's, you know, going outside of what we're measuring. Um, outside of that, it's all about the customers for us. We, we are going to monetize them 10 ways to Sunday, and we're going to give them 10 offers on the back end. Um, and really, it's data monetization is the, the name of the game when you're at scale and when you're in direct response. So if you can break even day one while I have all of my abandoned carts, which I know I'm going to get at least 20% of those to take it through whatever my email sequence is, through some promotional offers, things like that. I know my repeat customer rate is at least 30% on the site. So if I give them a $10 coupon as their first purchase, you know, thank you for grabbing your sample. Here's $10 coupon. We know what our take rate is on that. So really, the whole thing is that day zero, if I can break even, that's amazing. Because I have a customer who at least some percentage of them are going to buy again in the future. Now, my job as you know, a marketer, our, our marketing team's job is really to how many times can we convince them to continue to buy and how can we shorten that cycle of purchase after the first one? What can we do to you know keep them engaged with our company six months down the road? Um, so we a lot of that is through we do new product uh, launches or new flavors, things like that. Um, but there we know you know anything that we bring in, there's going to be a percentage that we'll be able to you know monetize down the road. And so when you say monetize down the road, what sort of stuff do you actually do? Um, are you guys doing email marketing, SMS, kind of break that down? Yeah, so email, push, SMS, and just retargeting on Facebook uh, or outside Omnichannel, really. So uh, we just started doing a little bit of direct mail. That's been interesting. Um, so testing out a few things that aren't the traditional touch points, but the biggest is email. That's that's huge for us. Um, so our Email sequence never stops. If you're on our list, you're kind of there until you either opt out or you uh, you stop opening, I guess. But um, we we're pretty much relentless on making sure that we're in the inbox and in giving someone the opportunity to buy. Really, that's at the end of the day, we don't know how often someone is ready to buy, and there's so many different labels. You know, did they get paid? Did they just stop at the grocery store already? Are did they just run out of you know our product? Whatever it is, there's so many variables that our our main focus is wanting to be in front of that customer at any time that they're realizing, hey, I, I want to make another purchase. So email, SMS, retargeting with social, all this kind of stuff is really painting the whole picture of it. Yeah, D direct mail is wacky. That's something I haven't heard of for like ten years. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean we're we're just starting to test it. Um, we in all of our um, in all of our packages, we we do send like coupons and other stuff like that to our retailers to help push um, push into those stores. So that kind of gave us a first. We realized, okay, that's about a three percent take rate on some of those coupons into a, a GNC. So doing the math, we were just sitting there thinking like, there's so much, there's so many people who we can't hit on Instagram or Facebook anymore. This Facebook won't serve them. Okay, SMS, we can't just do too much because. You know, one, people have to opt into it. Two, we just can't, you can't hit a phone every day. It just gets really annoying really fast. Email, again, we're not in control of it. So it, a lot of times it can go to spam or, you know, whatever else. Um, so we just, where else can we be in front of that person and give them an offer that they, they can't refuse? So the first thing we were starting out with testing was sending a, a gift card, basically, a, you know, you want a $10 gift card, you know, thanks for being a customer kind of thing. Um, so first starting with our internal database, but shifting or 
after testing this, we'll be shifting outside of that and really kind of trying similar stuff to what we do on Facebook, but in direct mail, just again, to try and be as, as far <laughs> anywhere we can um, outside of just the ability to actually reach more customers and, and get the ROI. The other aspect of it is very focused on, on the potential exit. Um, so every kind of company in the past I've exited and that's been kind of the goal and intent from the beginning is to, to structure them and build them in a way that makes sense for someone to actually come in and purchase. And a huge thing on that is just the diversity of traffic. So if you're tied only to one medium, whether that's Google or Facebook or Snapchat, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, if there's one platform you're tied to, you, you can't sell very easily because that just becomes a huge linchpin that, okay, if Facebook stops working or if they ban you or whatever it is, then what do you do? And the investor or whoever's buying it doesn't know because they haven't done it. They haven't been running the business. So the more you can really be everywhere and have different strategies, whether that, you know, be different channels or even that be different offers to get someone in the, the better everything, you know, really works at the end of the day and the more valuable it is. Yeah, cool. Very cool. And a lot of what we've been talking about is like aggressive direct response marketing and talking about CPAs and stuff like that. But you mentioned the, uh, the brand awareness thing before. Um, I saw on, uh, on Summer Ray's Instagram story a few months ago, um, she, she like opened up her garage and out the front there was this massive crate of Ray's energy when she was having a party and all these like influencers were posting it and stuff. Yeah, and that, and that was epic. Um, what sort of stuff are you doing on the brand awareness side? Yeah, so we've, uh, similar to Summer Ray, we've had a, a, a lot of talks with higher level influencers. Um, haven't really, we've been flirting with a bunch of them and haven't really pulled the trigger um, on any yet. And then we, uh, we have our own smaller, you know, more the micro influencer uh, ambassador programs as well. Um, and then we do try and be pretty branded and have good content on social and stuff like that. Um, we're, we're trying to decide how heavily we want to really go into the uh, higher level influencer space, you know, kind of creating that snow teeth whitening effect, if you will. And uh, we actually, you know, talked to Josh about this pretty, um, pretty in depth, just about the whole strategy and, and how it works and everything. One of the things that is, it seems uh, key to the whole puzzle, though, is really having uh, more eggs in all baskets, really. So when you're talking to Summer Ray, we could have done a deal with her um, and, and got her on board and everything. Uh, but if we didn't have a ton of other people in line to kind of drop at the same time, um, it just wouldn't be as effective. You kind of see it on one person. You're following, let's say, Summer Ray, and you see that she posts about Ray's. Okay, but it's kind of an ad, whatever. But then when you see Summer Ray doing it, and you see Jake Paul doing it, and you see you know whoever else is doing it, it the effect is just magnitude every single time that you see that extra person. So everyone you're really seeing having huge success with these you know macro level influencers is really the, the snow teeth whitening, the Fabletics, the uh, Gymshark, you know, all these brands who have tons and tons of people at the same time um, and really creates that that aura effect of, you know, everyone is talking about it, everyone's posting. Um, so we're we're in development phase to really have a, a big splash with it, but not not quite there yet on, on that macros. Awesome. So definitely that's always kind of in the back of our mind is uh, we're very direct response focused, but how can we continue to build a brand and kind of that cult following? And for us, a lot of that comes in on the email side and the customer retention side. Um, so really heavily trying to influence that customer and, and really get them into our brand and our family um, more so than, than the outward facing, but that will change as we continue to continue to scale here. 
Exciting, man. Exciting things ahead. That's incredible. Awesome, man. So time for uh, show and tell. What's the best purchase you've ever made under $100? It can be a piece of tech, a book, digital product, whatever. For sure. Um, yeah, honestly, uh, I have these. I just bought them off Amazon. They were 20 bucks, but uh, an eye mask and I, that I sleep with at night. And that's probably my... Uh, my favorite purchase recently because I'm I'm a terrible sleeper and uh, or just falling asleep is just the hardest for me and our, our room does not have blackout shades or anything and I need to start getting those but the uh, the eye mask has been crucial for me to actually have a, a much better better night's sleep and it seems very small but having a, a better night's sleep is incredible. <laughs> That's very cool. Did it did it take a while to get used to? Because you're like wearing this thing on your face. That... It did a little bit. It it didn't take two. It was a few days, but. Um, and now it's now it's hard to you know sleep without it. Uh, but the main thing was that I, I had another one that was a cheap, just kind of silk that went across, but my eyelashes would like hit the, hit the side of it or the front of it. Um, you know when they were just fluttering, I guess. So the ones I have have a little bit of padding in between um, the sockets, so uh, it actually is slightly raised. Um, and that yeah, it's been been nice. I see. Have you seen the Facebook ads going around of that that big like device thing that people are wearing to like take power naps? Have you seen those? Ah, uh, it's like a new, it's like this new weird thing. I think they've, they've got a bunch of affiliates on it, like kind of like the Upright Go as well. Um, and I mean, it's just going nuts, but I see the ads and it's ridiculous because they put like this massive, like these massive goggles on, um, and then just sleep on the spot wherever they are for like 15 minutes. It's, it's weird. Can't, I can't imagine. I'm not a very good napper, but, uh, they certainly yeah. help at night. So I can imagine it. it works if you can get used to the, uh, the strap or whatever the big thing is on your Yeah. Yeah, sick. Awesome, man. So, um, take us through a day in the life of the CMO of Rep Sports. What do you do from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep? Yeah, so when I when I wake up, it's just a simple routine. I get some get some food and grab an energy drink out uh, at the fridge. Um, I generally wake up around around eight, so I'm not a not a six a.m. kind of guy. I I tried that lifestyle and it just wasn't <laughs> wasn't for me. So I'm a I'm a twelve or you know to one and get up at get up at eight or nine um and then generally go to the gym in the morning uh, and from there head to head to our office which is at the, the manufacturing plant that we have uh in orlando florida here um so typically get in uh, around around 10 or so um and then kind of check in with the the team and right now i'm i'm doing all the the facebook ads and everything so the kind of first thing is kind of checking on that and whatever tests we are running how did how did those perform and how did that look um, then it's kind of getting with the, the marketing team and our, our video and graphics guys to just see whatever, if we need new ads or whatever is kind of on the docket. Um, always have different social media skits or stuff that we need for, for retailers or new emails or new promos. So always, always kind of something on the, the docket for everyone. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so around, around one o'clock or so, I kind of finished up the morning or daily tasks, kind of the smaller stuff. Um, around that time is when transition into a lot of bigger picture stuff. So um, talking with partner Chris, CEO, just general strategy, depending on what's going on. So um, might be a new flavor launch we have and how we're kind of going to spin this, what the you know name's going to be and how we're really going to push it out there. Um, most lately, it's been a lot of preparation for our vitamin shop launch. Um, so I assume by the time this comes out, we'll already be in vitamin shop and, and live there. Um, but so a lot of that is just kind of how we coordinate that launch. How do we really want to target all the, the vitamin shop people from, from doing Snapchat ads? Cause we can actually target, you know, vitamin shop to 
getting our influencers, you know, lined up to, to post or to go, you know, into stores and, and things of that nature. Um, and then, yeah, out of there around, around six o'clock or so. And, and then it's dinner and back onto, <laughs> back onto the computer, depending on what, what needs to be created. So, um, it really depends on, on the needs, but I'm pretty much, uh, kind of in, in everything. So whether it's, you know, building funnels or creating new email copy and all that kind of stuff, it's, uh, a lot of pieces I'm checking out, you know, from, from some of our copywriters or our, you know, funnel guy and making sure it, it works right, but also kind of getting and do it myself because we can't really move fast enough. So it's just hiring and training, um, I guess, comes in there too because we've continued to have a lot of, you know, new hires on the team so we can move faster. Um, but without without the team, I'm still, you know, in, in their day-to-day and I think uh, I'm kind of wired that way. So I don't know if I'll ever <laughs> be out of the, the minutiae day-to-day. But um, yeah, there's... That's kind of the, the typical day. It's not not all too glamorous. It's uh, just kind of checking in with the team and making sure we're moving uh, one step forward every day. Yeah. So, so your work life balance is more work work balance, realistically. It, it, it's it's mostly work. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> Epic. How how is your team structured? Um, being both online and uh, and offline or retail brand, how how do things look on that side? Yeah. So we have. Um, about about 50 people, a little over, depending on some of the flex labor that we have, um, you know, at the plant. Um, about 30 of those are more geared in the the manufacturing and, and sales team. Um, so partner Chris, uh, he handles more, and we have an operations manager as well, but he handles more of some of the operations side, um, and then have a VP of sales who has some of their um, sales team that are on the road and a couple who are in house who actually you know have accounts for these retail stores and are calling either placing orders you know to put the energy drink in their store or they're getting you know new orders from from new stores or trying to close you know different different retailers um so have about six people on the the sales side and then uh a good number in the operations and manufacturing um and then about 10 who are more in marketing so have a a full-time graphics guy or two graphics guys um and someone like me, a media buyer and funnel builder, um, a full-time video guy, uh, someone who's in charge of our ambassador program, um, a few other, you know, random pieces sprinkled in there. And then, uh, one of the more important pieces, he doesn't get enough credit, but our, uh, our flavor, you know, and our formulator guy. So he, uh, you know, makes all our, our amazing, you know, products and everything. So, um, uh, we kind of tucked him in the corner, but he's, uh, <laughs> he's very crucial. Who, who tests the flavors? Who's lucky enough so to do that's that. everyone. He he's the first everyone. one, but then we have we have group testing. So we'll have you know shot glasses out for each different yeah. you know variation, and they're all uh, just labeled with a number or ABC, and then have to blind blind rate them and you know see the the combinations and everything. It's a very long process. It the flavors are so subjective that it it really takes a lot of work and trying it over and over again, and then you might like one thing on the first sip, but then if you have a full bottle of it, it tastes like shit. So it's like. It's a lot of uh, trial and error at the moment to try and really get a get something we like. We really we've leaned into how great our flavors are, and we've had some pretty good success on our you know recent launches of flavors. So we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot that it's you know we keep having to beat the the last uh, the last flavor. So it's it's hard, becoming harder and harder to to release new products. But well, we'll get there. Yeah, cool, man. It sounds like uh, it sounds like you have a lot of fun at work, which is epic. Uh, yeah, it's a good amount. You know, I I have. Uh, about three years ago, it was all from then before it was all kind of at home. I, you know, had my own office and all my employees were freelancers and remote or I was doing, you know, most things myself. So it's, uh, 
been a, an interesting transition going, you know, kind of back to the, or I guess I never started at the office life, but going into the office life and, you know, going in daily and stuff, but it's, uh, it's fun being around people. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, haven't had it for so long and then having it again is a big change, but it's, it's nice to be around a team who actually, you know, you can feel the energy and all trying to, you know, push forward and, and have the same goal. Love it, man. Love it. So as we wrap things up, um, where can people find you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not all that public. So I, you know, you're, you're my first, uh, or I'm the first podcast here. Um, so I, on Facebook, I'm Robin Danielson. Uh, you can find raise energy or rep sports, uh, you know, online or, or on Instagram. Um, and I'm, I'm on Instagram, Robin Danielson as well. But, uh, yeah, just the brands are pretty much where you'll find, uh, my work. But outside of that, it'll be Facebook or, or Instagram to see me directly. The, uh, the whole objective, the whole objective of this podcast is to really bring the people that are behind the curtains into the spotlight that are doing epic things that we haven't heard of. Because, you know, most of the time, a lot of the people that, um, people starting out and also the people in like the low to mid seven figures, the people they're listening to are the people that they see in their Facebook feeds as, you know, sponsored posts and, and ads and stuff like that. And no one really gets the opportunity to, to hear directly from the people that are doing it right now and on an epic level. So, um, I'm not sure if you've got me there still or if we're lagging out a little. Yeah, excellent. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Drop some absolute knowledge bombs and really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. And definitely uh, for, you know, for anyone listening, I would say just overall, just keep keep at it. And I think one of the things uh, that I would I would leave here, I guess, with is definitely from from coming up, you know, and doing everything myself and having great wins and everything early on. But uh really there was a, a kind of stopping point that I would have what I could do myself. So I would say just anyone out there who's that kind of that solopreneur and really getting their wins like you're talking about in that, you know, low six, seven figure range and everything, really think about start building uh, that team and some people around you to really get to the next level because that's uh, kind of been the, the key, I think, for for success that I've had and everything has been really surrounding, you know, myself and getting those A players onto the team to really take it to the next level. I know you didn't ask for any advice, but uh, – I would definitely just, that's something that I think I, I needed to hear a long time ago. And uh, hopefully, you know, that helps people here. Yeah, epic, man. And and be be unafraid to share responsibility, even though, I don't know what, I, I'm the same. One of my big blockers in the beginning was being scared to give someone else a job that I knew I would do better. Right? Yeah, for sure. Like, it's, it's hard every yeah. day. Still, I have to train and yeah. I say, oh, I know I could just do that. But I have to like really force myself to uh, take extra time and train because next time, as long as you you know, trusting the right person who's not going to, you know, just forget what you just taught them. They're going to be able to do it themselves. And really, that's the only way. It's it's really tough as, you know, that entrepreneur who who's really done everything, kind of been in there and really in the trenches to, to give up that uh, that control. But at the end of the day, there's there's no way you can build, you know, if you have big visions, there's no way you can build it alone. So you really need yeah. to find those people you can trust and, and build with. Yeah. And the, the thing I tell people is... Um, you know, no, no human being on the planet, no matter how good are going to do things exactly the way you want them, only you, because that's, it's the vision that you have in your mind. It can't be replicated or, or materialized. So even if someone does something 80% as good, that's much better than you doing a hundred percent job because you're not going to be able to scale your 100%. For sure. You can focus on the things, you know, that you know that you're, you're the only one who can do, or whether that's even just training multiple people to do multiple things that you can do, you know, you focus on that thing and yeah, it's better at the end of the day to have three people working at 80%, like you're saying, than, you know, yourself working at a hundred, it's just never gonna, never gonna take you where you need to go. 
Exactly, man. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Catch, Catch you, dude. All right. See ya.